Dismantling DHS is long overdue by Charlie Vargas. In the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks came the establishment of the Department of Homeland Security, DHS. The agency came to fruition with the passing of the Homeland Security Act of 2002. It passed in the House with mostly Republican support, and the Senate overwhelmingly approved it with 90 bipartisan votes. One of the DHS's goals was to improve intelligence communication and coordination among other government agencies. Its core mission was to combat terrorism and prevent additional terrorist attacks from occurring within the U.S. In 2003, DHS created three agencies under its umbrella that took on the Immigration and Naturalization Service's previous functions. The three new agencies were the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, Customs and Border Protection, CBP, and the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS. The reasoning behind DHS's creation came under question when a memo by former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld was publicly released. The memo described Rumsfeld's ambivalence using the word homeland in a new agency's title. The document shows it was dated February 27, 2001, nearly seven months before 9-11. It seems the idea for creating DHS predated 9-11, but support was hardly questionable with the government reeling from the attack. DHS may have been established to fight terrorism, but it slowly eroded while the war on terror continues to be waged abroad. DHS has since then become more functional on a domestic front and abandoning its supposed purpose. Part of its domestic approach is immigration, a role in which over the last decade has illustrated examples of rampant abuse within the agency. In 2018, The Intercept published an article that found 1,224 complaints of sexual abuse in ICE custody between 2010 to 2017. Half of the complaints accused officers of being the perpetrators. The report also said ICE had failed to annually release all aggregated sexual abuse and assault data despite a DHS regulation established in 2014. ICE existed for almost two decades, but the article states ICE only had started recording a sexual assault that same year, making it nearly impossible to track sexual assault complaints in an immigration detention center. Statements and interviews of detainees who filed complaints about abuse found themselves in a situation of retaliation and intimidation by officers afterward. Detainees described a culture where officers protected each other and escaped any meaningful discipline. ICE also seems to defend itself on a systematic level. This year, the ACLU raised concerns about the National Archives and Record Administration's approval that allows ICE to destroy records, including ones based on civil rights violations of detainees. ICE also recently deported a woman who was a crucial witness in a sexual assault and harassment investigation of an El Paso detention center. The investigation resulted from complaints that she and other detainees were sexually assaulted by officers away from detention center cameras. The woman who reported the assault gave similar testimony of other detainees found in the Intercept's article, including officer intimidation, retaliation, and an officer's continuous lack of accountability. Before the woman was deported, she told her attorneys that the officer who assaulted her remained working near her the week prior. The New York Times also published an article that cited 4,556 complaints of sexual abuse and harassment of children held in government-run detention centers between October 2014 and July 2018. There were 1,303 cases deemed the most serious, which were referred to the Justice Department. Of those 1,303 cases, 178 were complaints against adult staff members accused of fondling and kissing minors, watching them as they showered, and raping them. The lack of transparency in DHS allows this behavior to continue without severe reprimanding of its agents, harming a population susceptible to abuse because of limitations faced in confinement. The carelessness by DHS became even increasingly harmful to detainees during the coronavirus pandemic. In the early weeks of the pandemic, 
an ICE detention center in Avalanto, California, faced a lawsuit from six detainees with underlying health conditions, accusing officials at the facility of not taking appropriate measures to protect detainees from the virus. The six defendants in the lawsuit were released after a judge cited a health risk. The following month, the same Adelanto ICE facility and another one in Florida faced additional complaints. The detainees complained said that ICE officers were using powerful disinfectant sprays that caused skin irritation, burns, bleeding, and pain. The article cites that the disinfectant HDQ neutrals guidelines specify its use for only outdoors or in a well-ventilated area and that handlers should use protective equipment. One of the more disturbing allegations came from an Irwin County ICE detention facility in Georgia where advocacy groups filed a whistleblower complaint based on medical neglect. The complaint alleges that the facility fails to treat patients with coronavirus symptoms and performed excessive hysterectomies on immigrant women detainees without informed consent. Forced sterilization may sound like eugenics of the 30s, but the U.S. has a more recent history. In this case, DHS is actively playing a role over a women's reproductive rights who are not yet citizens. It is incredibly contradictory to believe that these procedures were done for the detainees' benefits when there are multiple complaints of ICE facilities failing to meet other health protections. The tactics of ICE, whether it's in detention centers or executed through raids, lack humanity. EPB was the Trump administration's essential vessel when the Muslim ban went into effect. The agency was also front and center in enforcing a zero-tolerance policy that called for separating families at the border. The Southern Poverty Law Center created a timeline that illustrates the vast cruelty of this policy implemented by DHS with repeated accountability. These agencies became inherently worse the more they became politicized. In 2016, the Trump campaign won the Border Patrol's union endorsement and the endorsement of the union representing ICE. It was the first time both unions embraced a presidential candidate. The unions found empowerment in Trump's rhetoric surrounding immigration. When California passed a sanctuary of state law, Thomas Homan, ICE's then-acting director, said ICE would increase agents and raids, which he reasoned by saying it was to keep Californians safe. The California law prevents local, law enforcement from working with ICE, which seemed to motivate retaliation. Homan echoes the messaging that Trump uses to this day about law and order, and the only ones unharmed by these mentalities are the government agencies themselves. It's telling that Congress managed to find funding for the DHS with little opposition in time of massive economic downturn. An agency that can be easily weaponized makes the Trump administration the perfect enabler. When these agencies become politicized, they also become further tribalized in a culture of us versus them. The most recent example of the weaponization of these agencies was in Portland. In July, amid the protests calling for justice for the murder of George Floyd, internal DHS documents leaked to the nation showed how DHS officials in Portland were instructed on how to continue to arrest journalists and expose them to crowd suppressants, such as tear gas, while avoiding liability. A court order had protected journalists covering the protests, but DHS sought a way around it. Earlier that same month, in a separate leak to the nation by a CBP officer, it was discovered that an arrest of a protester in Portland, picked up by an unmarked vehicle, was the doing of CBP officers. The documents show how a special DHS task force, called Protecting American Communities Task Force, or PACT, was deployed to Portland with an intention of surging resources to help combat civil unrest. One of these resources is the use of drones to surveil protests, which was identified in the Minneapolis protest. The article cited Jen Budd, a former senior Border Patrol agent, that said these resources are available to the DHS because of laws passed after 9-11. He also said that ICE and CBP have increased authority due to Trump's COVID-19 national emergency declaration that triggered Title 42 pandemic law. The surveillance of citizens and brute force encouraged against journalists afforded to DHS is another example of an agency's weaponized against its citizenry.
the surveillance of citizens and brute force encouraged against journalists afforded to DHS is another example of an agency weaponized against its citizenry. The fear that mobilized Congress to pass law after law to fight terrorism came home, whether it's surveillance afforded by the Patriot Act or increased funding to DHS in the name of fighting terror, the pendulum swings back against the citizenry. DHS needs to be dismantled, and all the functions of the agencies like CBP, ICE, and USCIS need to be reorganized in a way that keeps them accountable. A policy idea proposed in Julian Castro's platform during his presidential campaign sought to use the Department of Justice, DOJ, as an agency to provide oversight, but only to an extent. Castro called for a DHS to remain an agency and to share responsibilities of its agencies with the DOJ. That isn't enough. No matter what DHS reforms previous administrations believe they accomplished, the reality is that they paved the path for them to be weaponized by whoever holds the mantle. The DHS needs to be entirely reimagined. No matter how these agencies get reorganized, they will need new staff to ensure the culture of abuse and negligence isn't preserved within the new agency. With mounting instances of its failure, the time for dismantling, reorganizing, and limiting the DHS's functions is long overdue. It's time to follow through, for the sake of migrants and the U.S. citizenry.